Oh, Lord God, if you care so much about the little sparrows, help us to take heart in knowing how deeply you care for us, your dear children. And as we go on this road trip we call life, remind us, Lord, that you go with us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are continuing in our road series uh, for the summer. And in each of these Sundays, we're going to be taking a look at a Bible story that involves some kind of uh, journey, people on a road trip, if you will, under God's direction. And we're going to be looking at what lessons we can learn from each of these stories. Maybe you're going to be going on a road trip this summer, um, vacation of various types, or maybe you've gone on a road trip in the past. Maybe it was positive or not so positive of an experience. I remember when I was a pretty young kid, and now this is in the early 60s, our family went on a road trip across the country. At the time, we were living in St. Louis, Missouri. We packed all six of us, four kids and mom and dad, into our family sedan, which wasn't that big. This is before the days of bucket seats, so three people in the front, three in the back bench seat. So one kid had to sit between mom and dad. And we head out on this road trip from St. Louis to Los Angeles, California, to visit our relatives. And, of course, this car did not have air conditioning. In the heat of summer, you can imagine it got a little bit interesting as time went on. It wasn't too far into the journey that, of course, one of us four kids had to say, I got to go to the bathroom. And, of course, Dad would get upset. I told you to do that before we left, and so on and so forth. Of course, you never had any of these experiences, right? Yeah. We were on the old Highway 66, okay, the old two-road highway from St. Louis to Los Angeles. And as time went on, three kids in the back, inevitably one of them would say, He's touching me, or she's touching me. And we'd have to get real clear about who's sitting where, putting a space in between. Don't touch one another. And then, of course, at some point, someone would ask the question, are we there yet? Uh, Were we unique in this, or did you ever have that question come up in your family road trips? Are we there yet? Yeah, usually it's the kids that ask that question. But then again, sometimes... The ones saying, are we there yet, are the adults. I love this little cartoon. Sometimes it's us adults who kind of get bent out of shape during the road trip. Well, today's Bible story involves the ancient Israelites who are on something of a road trip, if you will. And as we're going to see, it was the adults who began to grumble and complain along the way. You remember the story. The Israelites, of course, had been slaves in the land of Egypt for over 400 years. And the time finally came that God decided to raise up his own servant, Moses, who would deliver the people out of slavery, lead them to the land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants, the land of Canaan. And so as the story went, God used Moses to confront Pharaoh. And after the, the 10th plague, Pharaoh finally let them go. The 10th plague, of course, involved the death of the firstborn. God had instructed his people to put the blood of a lamb on their door frames. And wherever there was the blood of the lamb, when the angel of the Lord passed through that village, he passed over those houses and spared the people who lived inside those houses. 
But where there was no blood of the lamb, the firstborn child and the firstborn animal was taken. God used that Passover event to lead the people out of slavery toward the promised land. And then, of course, as they were exiting the land, they come to the Red Sea and they ask, what are we going to do now? We're trapped and the Egyptian armies are hot on our tails, chasing us down, wanting to kill us. And God saved them again, parted the waters, and they went across on dry ground. And when they got to the other side and the Egyptian armies entered into that area, the water closed on them and they drowned. And God's people were saved. God did a miracle. And he led them on into the desert toward the promised land. And that's when the grumbling began, out in the desert. We heard it a moment ago in the Old Testament reading. Let me just read a couple of verses again from that story. It says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Yeah, they had it so good in Egypt, and they slaves. Did they forget? They were in slavery, how mistreated they had been. But they said, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. How quickly they forgot. And, you know, this example of grumbling here was just one of many times along this road trip that the Israelites fell into this mode of complaining. Time and time again, they forgot all about how God had delivered them out of slavery, how he had saved them from the Egyptian armies. They completely lost sight of the end goal, the promised land, the land where they were, where they were being led, where God was going to take them. They completely forgot all about that and simply focused on their problems. And the result was grumbling and complaining. They became really rather quite ungrateful. You know, some people today have mastered what I like to call the art of being ungrateful. Do you know some people like that? They've mastered the art of being ungrateful. They travel through this life, this road trip we call life, with an attitude of ingratitude came across the story of a man who was standing, writing at the post office counter one day when an older man shuffled up to him with a postcard in his hand. Sir, the older man said, would you please address this postcard for me? And so the first man gladly consented, and he wrote what the older man dictated to him, and he even signed the man's name to the postcard. And then when he finished, he extended the postcard and he asked the man, is there anything else I can do for you? And the old fellow looked at the card and thought for a moment and then answered, uh, yes, at the end, could you just put P.S., please excuse the sloppy handwriting. <laughs> really? Yeah, I guess it's true that no good deed goes unpunished. Huh? A certain Midwestern woman known as an incurable grumbler constantly complained about everything. And at last, her pastor got involved. Her pastor thought that he had found something about which she would be happy because her farm crop 
was the finest farm crop for miles around. And so when he met her, he said with a beaming smile on his face, You must be very happy, Mary. Everyone is saying how healthy your potatoes look this year. True, they're pretty good, she said. But what am I going to do when I need bad ones to feed the pigs? Some people will always find the problem to complain about. And the ancient Israelites seem to grumble constantly on this road trip. Yeah, some people do the same thing today. And you know, such an attitude of ingratitude is really draining. It drains not only that person, it drains everybody around them. It's joy-stealing, and it robs us all of the opportunity to see and appreciate how God's hand is guiding us on this road trip that we call life. Even St. Paul had to address this issue in the early church, and he wrote this letter to the Philippians and said these words, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. Do everything without complaining or arguing. You know, the road trip of life is really, really relatively short, isn't it? And the older we get, the more true that becomes for all of us. And it's much too short to waste it, grumbling and complaining. God put each one of us on this planet for a purpose, for His purpose. And I truly believe that he wants us to enjoy the journey that we're on. I think he wants us to really find fulfillment in this, this road trip we're on that he has mapped out for each one of us. Jesus said, in, in, as recorded in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I really think he meant that, that life is to be full and abundant and joyful. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. How do we enjoy the journey? How do we enjoy this road trip we call life? Three takeaways this morning in response to that question. First of all, don't major in minors. Don't major in the minors. What do I mean by that? You know, when we worry about all kinds of little things that really don't matter all that much... We're majoring in the minors, the things that aren't all that important. We really need to focus on what really matters. I think that's what Jesus was getting at in our gospel lesson today when he said in Matthew 6, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? How many people spend way too much time worrying about their fashion statement? Then he goes on to say, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first, here's what matters, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, we need to major in what really matters. Seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, his kingship in our life, his rule in our life by his grace. We need to seek that 
that God would be in charge of every, every aspect of our life. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness, Jesus said. Seek the forgiving grace that he has earned for us at the cross that every day we may be assured of the forgiveness of our sins and be filled with the joy of our salvation so we can live each day of our road trip with enthusiasm and energy and purpose. Seek his righteousness, his grace. That's what really matters because his grace, you see, is what then motivates us to want to live a holy and righteous life in response to his love a life that honors God in everything we do. How do we enjoy the journey? First of all, don't major in minors. Secondly, to enjoy this road trip called life, see the cross at every crossroads. See the cross at every crossroads. Let's admit it, on the road trip of life, we come across a wide variety of crossroads, don't we? Crossroads, you know, challenges. Challenges that may make us wonder which direction are we supposed to go. We wonder if we even have the right information to be able to make the right choice. Crossroads. You know, those surprises that come your way when you're not expecting them, when the doctor says it's cancer or when a loved one suddenly passes away, or when the plans you put into place suddenly go awry unexpectedly. Crossroads can be confusing, even disheartening. But the fact is that a crossroads experience is another opportunity to let God be God. So often we want to play God. But God plays it so much better than we do. And when we come to that crossroads, we can let God be God. We can let God control things. We can let him direct our lives the way he wants to. And it's an opportunity to also see the cross at every crossroads. In other words, when we come to a crossroads in life, the challenge is to navigate it in light of what Jesus did for us on the cross, in light of his amazing love, in light of his sacrifice for our sins, for our eternal life. When we remind ourselves every day that Jesus loved us enough to die for us, that gives meaning, purpose, and direction every time we come to a crossroads. And as we make choices in life, and yes, we have to make many different choices, We let his grace set us on the right path. We need to see the cross at every crossroads. In that epistle lesson for today, in the letter to the Hebrews, it said this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. On this road trip of life, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author says. How do we do that? We fix our eyes on Jesus, friends, as first of all, we remain in the word. Let me just challenge all of us to be 
regularly reading a portion of God's Word each day. It doesn't have to be a long section, even just a short passage that we read, that we ponder, that we consider what that means and then how it applies to our life, and then we put it into action. To do that every day is to stay focused on Jesus and His cross. We stay focused on Jesus as we daily remind ourselves, I am a baptized child of God. And I live each day in the joy of my baptism, knowing that I am washed clean in Christ. I rise up every day a brand new creation in Christ, and I can live this day of my road trip to His glory and honor. That's how I stay focused on Jesus. And then thirdly, as we just experienced receiving the Lord's Supper regularly as the body and blood of Christ in that bread and wine not only assures us of the forgiveness of our sins but gives us spiritual strength to be able to go out and live our road trip in a way that brings honor to the king. You know, God led those Old Testament Israelites through the desert in some rather unique ways. He led them by a a pillar of cloud by daytime that they followed and a pillar of fire by night that lit up the night sky and they followed that pillar of fire at night. Today, God leads us by the fire of His Holy Spirit who lives within us and who speaks to us in the Word and the sacraments. And as He leads us, we're called to follow. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And by the bright light of the good news of Jesus our Savior, He leads us, not only in this life, in this road trip, but He leads us all the way to the promised land of heaven. How do we enjoy the journey? Well, don't major in minors. See the cross at every crossroads. And then thirdly, finally, embrace both the now and the not yet. Embrace both the now and the not yet. What do I mean by that? Well, as believers in Jesus, we live both within the now and the not yet. That is, as believers in Jesus, we have eternal life right now through faith in Christ. But we are not yet experiencing the fullness of the glories of heaven. That is still off on the horizon. That's yet to come. But the call is to live and embrace both of those, the now and the not yet. Jesus talked about the now when he said, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Notice it doesn't say he who believes will have everlasting life. He says he who believes has everlasting life right now. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you have eternal life right now. You are saved right now. But you're not yet in heaven, are you? That is still to come. And so it takes us back to our question. Are we there yet? Yes and no. Embrace both the now and the not yet. I love the way St. Peter wrote about the now and the not yet in his first letter, in the first chapter, starting in verse 3. Listen for the elements of both now and not yet in this, in this reading. Peter wrote, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have that right now. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the not yet. And then he goes on to say, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There's the crossroads. And he goes on and says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, there's the not yet, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You know, the Old Testament Israelites lived in their own version of both the now and the not yet. They had been delivered out of slavery. They had been saved from the threat of the Egyptian armies. They were saved right then and there, right now. And at the same time, they had a promise that they were trusting, the promise of a new home in the land that God had sworn to give to Abraham and his descendants. And there's the not yet the promised land that lies ahead. The challenge to them was to embrace both, and the same challenge is for you and me, to embrace both. I think St. Paul sums it up in one simple little statement in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's all good. It's all good. So how do we enjoy the journey? Friends, don't major in the minors. Major in what really matters. See the cross at every crossroads, for it's from the cross that we are empowered to address the crossroads and then embrace both the now and the not yet. I had the wonderful privilege this past week to officiate the memorial service of one of our longtime members who passed away recently, Chris Polkow. His wife is Lois. Chris was a wonderful man of God who lived out his faith in in beautiful ways, even though he had his crossroads, to be sure. He had his difficulties and challenges, physical problems, to be sure. But Chris remained a faithful man. In fact, he was so much living out his faith. Every morning at 10 a.m., Chris would take out his Bible sit down with his wife, Lois, and would read from the Bible to and with Lois because Lois has severe macular degeneration and can't see. And he would read to her, and they would talk about what that Bible verse meant to the two of them in their life as husband and wife. He did that every morning at 10 a.m. He lived out his faith. He also had a great sense of humor, always had a great joke to tell, and he just seemed to enjoy life in spite of all of the challenges that had come his way. I think Chris's life is a testimony to this truth, that when you know where your journey is taking you, life is a lot more fun and fulfilling.
Let me say it again. When you know where your journey is taking you, life is a lot more fun and fulfilling. Are we there yet? Well, friends, knowing where we're going, let's enjoy the journey to the glory of God. And by the way, along the way, let's invite as many other people who will go with us as possible. For Jesus wants them all to take this journey home. Amen. Next week, the theme is going to be when the journey gets scary. We hope you'll come back for part number three if you're in town. And if you're on your own journey of vacation, check in with us along the way. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.